Hey there, film fans. I'm Jeff. <laughs> I'm Dave. And I'm John. And that sounded weird to us. But uh, welcome back to The Love of Cinema, a pod in which we'll challenge one another to discuss movies, both new and old, with a strictly positive critical eye. You know, that's right. All right. So that's no negative criticism, people. I listened to a podcast today about an award show person making predictions, and they just sounded like the most pretentious assholes. And we hate that here on the podcast. So we are a. Yeah. That's yeah. not for me, though. So. Yeah. So we are trying to keep it positive, people. Anytime we say something negative, as apparently some I did, uh, you're going to hear that buzzer. That means we're drinking. We would love for you to drink along while we talk about movies, people. That is all. So, Ooh. boys, there's a glass, and let's give it up for a film we love and a film that might need some love. I, I mean, according to the Razzies, it needs some love. We'll see what happens. According yeah. to the Razzies, yeah, but a, according to the Oscars, they might both be fucking nominated. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Then The Oscar nominations will have come out by the time you listen to this podcast. We are recording on Sunday night, the 14th of March. Yes. Not, to give, not to give the game away, but we are recording live on Twitch and Facebook every time this week except for next week. Thank you, John. And uh, so you can check us out live. But yes, by the time you hear this, you will know who's nominated for the Oscars. But we'll get more about what our segment's about and why I'm giving you this setup in a second after John gives us some shout outs. The shout outs. We got a beer sponsor. His name is Carlos Barozo. The handle is C Bar 2019. That is C-B-A-R-R-O-Z-O-B-A-R-2019. And we got that music on this every single episode. It's provided by the same artist. The artist's name is Dasein. That's Dasein, D-A-S-E-I-N. If you're digging it, head on over to soundcloud.com forward slash Dasein-artist and you can download all these tracks for free. Get on it, Jeff. Yeah, let's. I wanna, I'm going to wait a second before we get into our Oscar Razzie segment. But first, let's go around. Have you guys watched anything? We got a lot to do today. So let's try to keep it tight. But have you guys watched <laughs> anything this week besides our movies that you want to you wanna shout out for the people? Dave? Uh, yeah, I went, I went through, uh, I'm, I'm actually halfway through the final season of the episode. I finally went back to American Horror Story 1984, and it is good, cheesy fun, as always. And I just, nice. we discovered by accident uh, a series on Netflix called Daybreak. And mm. if for those of you that haven't seen it, Daybreak is basically The Walking Dead crossed with Ferris Bueller and Kick-Ass. Wow. <laughs> It's, uh, I mean, pop culture references flying. It's even got Matthew Broderick in it, for fuck's sake. It's, it's hilarious. We, Whoa, we turned it on shit. for, yeah, we turned it on for like one episode and just binged the fuck out of it. So, Jesus. yeah. Nice, uh, dude. John, you've been watching anything? Yeah. Uh, so, after our last week's episode, um, we talked about The Witches and Robert mm. Zemeckis directed that. I wanted to redeem, redeem that a little bit. So, I watched one of my favorite Zemeckis films, Contact. Mm. Uh, either that night or Monday that's night, Jodie Foster. That's one of my favorite Zemeckis films. I, I like. He had the whole span in the '90s that I'm a huge fan of. That's probably the last of the '90s ones that he made that I'm a huge fan of. I watched. Uh, I only ask because that's not a popular time. choice amongst a lot of other filmgoers. <laughs> I know, I know. I, I really like that one. Sci-fi nerd, mm. oh. as you know. Yeah, yeah. To all those guys, I watched Logan, which mm. was a. Uh, I saw that in theaters, and I hadn't seen it since in a long time. You mentioned The Wolverine last week. I went back. Yeah. And it, was, it was good. Did That's you watch the black and white one or the, the original? No, I watched the regular color one. Right. I think it's on whatever. I can't remember what it's on right now. And then uh, the only thing of note that I watched other than that, my father had never seen Chinatown. And he was visiting. So we watched Chinatown. Uh-huh. Really good watch. I hadn't seen that in a long time, and it worked out. Really nicely, because the night before that, totally randomly, on my own, I watched Steven Soderbergh, Roger Deakins, 
and a couple other filmmakers break down Chinatown in this YouTube video. So I just watched it. My dad was asking about it the next day. I was like, we got to do it. I had a great watch. That was probably my third or fourth time seeing that movie. It's still, it's still yeah. such a good one. I mean, they, they still yeah. throw that out as uh, like an example in screenwriting. As I mean, Robert Town wrote yeah, the fuck was, out of that. Yeah, it was one of the it was one of the first ones where it just doesn't end well. Yeah, outside. Yeah, of I know. It's like where that comes yeah. from, right? Like yeah. the forget yeah. about it, Jake. Yeah, yeah. It's so good. Um, <laughs> Alec Baldwin had a guest on that wrote a biography about. Well, he's a biographist, a Hollywood biographist, but he wrote about Chinatown. So I was listening to a pod about that today. Man, it's in the huh. air. Um, yeah. I I watched two things. First of all, I watched Borat for finally, and I I, had, I kept the hearing sequel? the first one. Yeah, I kept hearing the okay. first one was better, but there are some scenes in that that are holy shit. That fertility yeah. dance. I was trying to work out while I watched this movie, and it's really hard Fantastic. to work out during the, the. We will wow them when he <laughs> says we will wow them. <laughs> yeah. There are so many. There are so many great. Oh my god! So Borat, shout my out. My moon blood. Um, um, and then um, I watched It's a Sin on HBO Max, which I had never heard of, but I heard it mm. on a different podcast, and it's about. Uh, it's it starts out as a young coming of age. Uh, comedy like fun party thing set in London in the early 80s and then it very quickly becomes about the AIDS outbreak in London uh, Neil Patrick Harris and Stephen Fry have cameos but it's about the young guys and how they go from like having the time the most fun time ever to you know starting to live with AIDS and stuff it was, it was really really oh. really great five episodes HBO Max um, wow. all right so the Razzie nominations are out. The Oscar nominations are coming yes. out tomorrow. This is our 10th week of the segment. It was the best of film. It was the worst of film of 2020, where we pair a supposedly good film that may be nominated for Oscars with a film that may be nominated for some Razzies. The disclaimer is that we didn't come up with these lists. These were based on odds makers. Now that we're seeing the nominations come out, we did a pretty good job, or at least our odds makers did. And this is the first week where both of our films might be nominated for Oz Oscars. <laughs> Even though one is is really a Razzie film, um, yeah. so those two films are, of course, One Night in Miami, directed by Regina King. Um, it is about the one night that is uh, based on a true story, where Muhammad Ali, then known as Cassius Clay, Malcolm X, Jim Brown, and Sam Cooke all spend a night together after Cassius Clay became the heavyweight champion of the world, one of the youngest ever. I think he was twenty one at the time, 22. and fuck and then <laughs> our second film Close is enough. going to be hillbilly elegy people hillbilly elegy which is a movie about why trump voters didn't want to vote for full health coverage but they do want coverage they just don't want to pay for it but they don't want universal health coverage make sense out of that just stay the fuck out of our business people <laughs> no actually this well the real thing about hillbilly Wait, elegy was is that buzz it, it for what got, you said or was it the t-word i could have been either <laughs> Um, the movie actually got a lot of international acclaim when Brett Kavanaugh said he watches it as pornography when he wants to have sex. So that's that's actually how this movie got really popular. <laughs> so uh, that's going to be our Razzie film and also an Oscar that film, apparently. <laughs> no, no, I'm not. Nah. Nah. That movie justifies Came everything Ben. This movie <laughs> justifies everything Ben Sass has ever done with his life. His hillbilly elegy. Anyway, people, we're gonna get to that one later. The other bit of news besides the Razzies is Netflix. People has just announced that they oh. are coming after people who are doing password sharing. They realize there is free money, and they are now ready to cash in on their capital, where people won't just run screaming. They can do the Disney World thing, people, where they can raise the price, and more people will show up. That is right. It is coming. I don't know when, 
but they are going to start notifying you if you are not in the house as the owner of the account and they're going to say we we're on to you and they're going to yeah, force people I, I don't to get know, their I don't I don't I, I don't think they've thought this through to be honest I don't know how that works with downloadable episodes like if you download an episode to watch on the train or the plane or something is it just going to not let you watch episodes outside your house I've been thinking about that make, all week are they going to restrict it to devices can I really not watch using John's Netflix on my iPad in 10 states like I don't understand like are they really not going to let me do that <laughs> I mean, the CEO, the CEO of HBO once gave his password and login out on air. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean I'm sure he changed yeah. the password after a week when everyone was hooked on all the fucking shows they watched. But wait, wait, was that Ted Cruz's porn password or is that? No, no, that was. Sorry, you're right. That was the Netflix No, Ted password. Cruz's porn sorry. password is one, two, three, four, five. We've it's the same combination I have in my luggage. So far yeah. on this episode. All right. I'm, I'm saying that because our, our second film, Hillbilly Elegy, is on Netflix, which you can watch before they come and tell you to stop using your parents' account. All right, people, we're going to get into our first movie, which is One Night in Miami. One Night in Miami. As I said, this is directed by Regina King. Um, if I'm not mistaken, it's her first time directing a feature film. Um, it was written by Kemp Powers, and it's based on Kemp Powers' play, which he wrote uh, a long time ago. He wrote many years ago, and it's been performed several times. It has a very young cast with some recognizable faces like Aldous Hodge playing Jim Brown, the legendary football player, perhaps the best football player of all time, according to many sources. You also have Broadway star and television star who is now a full-time fucking bona fide movie star, certainly after this award season. Leslie yeah. Odom Jr. Holy shit, he was good as, as Sam Cooke. Um, mm. As Cassius Clay, you have Eli Gorey. And then you have Kingsley Ben-Adir in the Malcolm X role, who probably works as the lead in this film. Um, that is the four of them. You also get some other familiar faces like Lance Reddick who, and Michael Imperioli from The Sopranos. People you'd recognize if you saw. Um, and yeah, let's see. This is about the one night they spent together in Miami after uh, Cassius Clay won the heavyweight title bout and apparently was ready to party afterwards. Like I would totally be ready to do it after someone punched me in the face for a while. But <laughs> as he said, he didn't get hit very hard or very often. So he felt pretty fresh. <laughs> yeah, I think um, the thing was he really did. He, he, no one thought he was going to win. He didn't even think he was going to win. You never know with him based on anything. If you ever like follow him, you, you never really, he doesn't yeah. let, even to his closest confidants, did he ever say like, oh, I'm worried about this one. Like, um, So anyway, I, I, we're not talking about the plot. There, there really isn't much of a plot of this movie other than it's the four of them getting together. This takes place in 1964, very early in 1964, if I remember correctly. So Sam Cooke dies in 1964 and Malcolm X is assassinated in 1965. So for context, this is a very important time. Um, also the civil rights movement, right? So Malcolm X, who is just in the process now this is this has changed a little bit in the movie but cassius clay is a muslim by this point and he is joining the nation of islam and about to change his name this is all happening at the same time so this is a very momentous night this is a very i we don't really know what they talked about but like this was a very important historical moment and it is cool that it was able to be immortalized this way so that's it mm. again i'm not cue, talking about you in the room when it happened <laughs> so <laughs> yeah shit um i listened to some pods recently to to get some context on this but i'm gonna leave it there let's go to you guys first impressions what you got i i held off this yeah this has been out on prime for a while but i just watched this a couple of days ago just to have it as fresh as possible and my first takeaway was that yeah it was super well written and well acted and it was uh 
it's kind of exactly what you think it's going to be. And I don't mean that as a bad thing. I mean, you're going to hear four icons who maybe you like individually or, or already know some about just because you're a human. They went to school and you've read and you're not an idiot. But you're going to hear they do a good job. The writing's so strong that they do a good job of breaking down the argument that you're kind of just sitting there watching unfold the entire time, which is how do you choose to make a difference, especially when you have a platform? So obviously, all four of these men have a very large platform that is all their own. They're all involved in, you know, in something different from each other. And uh, it was fun. I thought they did a really good job of, maybe fun's not the right word. It was very informative. There were some powerful moments. There were some funny moments. Hmm. There was fun. Um, there was definitely fun. I, th- I think, I think fun was, is the yeah. right. Like, this doesn't only make you laugh. It makes you smile a yeah. lot. And I so, thought it was excellent. Like, but it, there are dramatic moments. But still, it's they've managed to balance it expertly. Yes, which I needed. I needed, especially, I'm going <laughs> to... There's a lot of good cursing in this film, which makes it have a pedestrian feel to the dialogue. So it doesn't sound like four icons are speaking highbrow to each other. You know, really four powerful black men during the civil rights movement. Try, you know, it, it didn't sound like that. It did. They did do a good job of, especially everyone other than Malcolm X, speaking as though they would to each other, and so desperately trying to get back to, can we just hang out? And Malcolm relentlessly mm. trying to get them back to that topic of conversation. So that's. The actors did a wonderful job, but I'm going to credit the playwright for that. Regina King, Regina King, this is her first feature film. She's done a couple of TV movies and a bunch of television, but yeah. and I didn't realize that. I had to look that up. I didn't know how much she had directed before. Um, it was beautifully shot. Uh, I, I did like a lot of the cinematography. I did like a lot of her choices. I think the only thing critically that I couldn't stop thinking about was that just like with Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, it is hard to get out of the fact that this is a play. It, it did often feel like she was, you know, they did their best to try to move the camera around and maybe get them out of the room whenever they could, the hotel room. But at the heart of it, it is still, I'm still going to say, I think it's a little limited because it is mostly people sitting in a room talking a lot to each other. I I didn't dislike it for that reason, but kind of the same things we were talking about several weeks ago with Ma Rainey's. I, I was kind of wondering if there were more interesting cinematic ways if they had thrown the script away and just used it as a based on the play as opposed to a play adaptation i kind of wanted to learn a little bit more about what these guys were going through with that wasn't happening in that particular night and then have it all feed back into this night but um i don't want to sound like it was negative i really did enjoy it i watched it wide awake i did not check my phone once i enjoyed every moment i wanted to keep hanging out with them. And if that was what they wanted to do, I think they achieved it really well. Yeah, Dave. It's a solid review. Um, I, I I disagree with the the play thing. I, fe- I feel like this did this way better than Ma Rainey's. Um, nice, dude. To be honest, I'm just with, with, I'm the, with the... I'm with Dave, John. Like, I'm with Dave. Also, also yeah. like, the set design of the... Like, the room itself is... It just has depth for miles. Like, yeah. there's, there's stuff that for them to shoot behind. They also did this really awesome thing I loved where there was... Sometimes there was someone talking, but the camera is not focused on them. It's focused on the person's reaction, and it's, I know it's she like did they were a lot of that. they were drawing yeah. your eye. It's I feel like it's sort of like what um, they tried to do in Les Mis with the camera and failed. Hmm. Um, but this it was this in the I find. Oh boy! In this, it was done beautifully. Like there was so many times, and there were a few times there where they kind of they cheated. The line, like they really use the camera beautifully. There's, they like, fucked with the uh, line really intentionally yeah. a few times. Um, didn't yeah, they? Temi Temi Riker. Um, I hope I'm pronouncing that right. I'm sorry if I'm not. Um, 
is apparently a master at shifting this line because they were like creatively using pans where like you've established your line here and then all of a sudden you cut here, but the camera then shifts. And so your new line is now here. And, and like, I never, like never once did they really cheat it. It was done so subtly. If unless, like if you didn't, if you weren't someone sitting there going, did they just cross the line? Like you, you wouldn't yeah, even have noticed they did it. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I think you did. We're we're filmmakers, of course, so we noticed that technically they were doing it. But I didn't feel like I was being pimped into some emotional reason why they were doing it, even though I know why she was doing it. It was a shift in point of view in that scene, but it was handled very. In a very yeah, mature like, way that you I didn't mean, think like, okay, here we go. There's shifting between, the line. Yeah, between that and the shifts in focus of like not necessarily the person speaking is the one that you're focused on with the camera. Like all of that led to like utilizing the camera as I want to highlight this person's reaction. and But it, it's not like we're ramming that reaction down your throat. It was subtle. And so I feel like it was a really good use of director camera um like the, the cinematographer and the director really worked together i i love that this is her first feature film because way to come out swinging mm-hmm. yeah like yeah it was i i feel like I there's a, than... a lot of good here oh for sure yeah me too and and i hate to compare it to another movie you know it's, it's i don't want to do that but I, I do agree with you guys if you if you push me in the corner and said which which play was adapted better this one was adapted better i think yeah randy's black bottom um but more than anything I feel like this, it, I think I, I could see her whiteboard things of like, these are my traps. This is what I'm trying to achieve. I think what she was going for is how do I make these people, how do I turn them into men and not icons and yet raise them up even more because of their humanity? And I think she fucking nailed that. Like, yeah. I never felt like she was pushing that. Again, the writing had a lot to do with that, but I thought she handled the dialogue and the staging well. And the performances were just so solid that it didn't like, feel like I was... I didn't feel like I was sitting there waiting for speeches from really famous people in history. And yet we got them because they were just talking from the heart. And I thought, I just thought she fucking nailed that. They fucking yeah. nailed that. Everybody like, fucking nailed if, that. If you look, like if you look at the poster, they've, they've put the characters that are in the play, like Malcolm X, Muhammad Ali, Jim Brown, Sam Cooke. The bottom one should be you because the, the camera yeah. is the fifth person in the room. It beca- you mm-hmm. become the fifth person in the room interacting with these people. I kind of felt like I was the, uh, I think one of my favorite small characters was the, the fanboy who was guarding the door outside. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was they love just cats. listening in through the door. Yeah. yeah awesome, dude. Jeff, what'd you um, think, dude? Yeah. You know what? This movie, I knew, I knew I was going to like it. I, I, or at least I had that gut feeling. Like, it's not like I was rooting for it, but I, I really felt like I, I really felt like it was going to be good for me, but I'm a huge athlete fan fan athlete fan wow i'm a huge fan of sports so jim brown is such an icon to those like nfl purists who you know have recency bias and this person there's a whole thing especially with running backs where they would come in and jim brown led the league in in rushing eight out of nine years that he ran in the league and then he had to retire early but if they paid them the way that they pay people now he wouldn't have retired and malcolm x because he's an epic figure in history so how do you get Basically, what I'm saying is this. This could have been four different biopics, or this could have been one just cramped, over the like over the top, overdone, emasculated biopic, where it's like by trying to 
be so as as John was saying by trying to like take all of these icons and make them iconic, it would have ended up like you would have had to sacrifice so much, and then it would have ended up pulling yeah. them down. Is is what I was trying to say. And what this did instead is it took ideas about them and what they were going through at the time and just fucking running with it. So for instance, the most iconic figure in in all of this, if it's not Malcolm X, is is Muhammad Ali. He's probably the most famous athlete of all time, and he's twenty two years old, and he's young and chipper and smiling and joking when he's. In public or on camera, he's giving you all of the the lines that you would expect from Muhammad Ali. But in the room, and and I actually recently watched a, a really short clip that ESPN did of Jim Brown going back to the hotel. So this hotel was originally segregated. So in 1964, it was a black hotel. White people didn't stay there. Mm. And it's called the Hampton House Motel, and it was in the African American like over overtorn neighborhood um, of Miami, and. Muhammad Ali was just like a kid who just won a fight and he was like he just wanted to like party the same way that fucking like Harry Styles would have you know or I, I know he's an icon going through civil rights which is something that I don't think any of the three of us can really like grasp enough to to speak on but yeah. this was an icon beyond anything plus with the racial lines that he had to cross and handle and all this kind of stuff he was just a kid and and then the Jim Brown segment he just kept saying that he was like, this dude was just always in such a good mood. He was always so giddy. He was so much energy. He was so happy. But what we see of him is what the media has has portrayed him as, which is this hardliner Vietnam War, you know, dissident who is basically saying F you to everybody. But that's not true. <laughs> and so to take that moment and just be like, you know what? Fuck all that other stuff. Rather than cramp it in so that you can get all you need to know from Muhammad Ali from this one movie, it was basically like, what if we just see this part, this side of him for a while? And, and to do that times four was such an amazing choice that, yeah, are there some flaws in there? Yes, it does have the one room problem. They actually made the room bigger than it actually is in real life. So, and then with the camera, they did their best to say, oh, it's claustrophobic, let's punch in. Or, oh, let's open it up. Let's use this section of the room now so that it feels like there's space. Let's go to the roof and make it seem like we're traveling to Cabo or something. Like they did anything they could. So yes, it did have that problem, but it's refreshing. And it's a beautiful piece. I and I'm, I went on a Ron Howard deep dive to wonder what the hell happened with Hillbilly Elegy, which is our next film that we'll be talking about. <laughs> Weird time to gush me, Dave. But every movie for so long turned into like a GoldenEye or a Bond movie. I don't know if it was just because they were made by men, which I am a man too, but like the, A Beautiful Mind turns into a Bond movie. Like every movie just can't fucking help itself. And there's just like an action sequence or something. And this movie is just beautiful. And it's these three enormous dudes just just having a nice moment together and it's I, it's so interesting yeah. no i, I, like I feel like I, I, I like that they did that with um like you've got four of what could be the most influential people yeah. of that time and they completely humanized them mm-hmm. they're just four guys cool. hanging out in a hotel with you i like what you said about muhammad ali to cassius clay because I know I made that joke about the fanboy outside, but Cassius Clay is our surrogate. He is the youngest one in the room, and he has the least experience with having an effect on society. He was just getting to that point. So it was also cool watching who might be the most iconic in our minds, looking back, kind of learn from these older guys. Not too much older, but a little older, a little more experienced, way more opinionated on how they chose to make their stance. And you kind of get to follow with him. So... It's always nice. It's always good writing to have someone in the room who is learning with you, especially mm-hmm. when you're, you're talking about ridiculous subject matter, like how do we change society and civil rights and stuff like that. So that, I think that was one reason why I felt like I was never getting preached at unless I was supposed to when 
Malcolm was screaming at Sam Cooke and, you know, you're kind of waiting for the fight. Um, so mm. I don't know. I just felt, again, it's very yeah. well written, which, you know, I don't know if we give too much credit to the movie for that. The play is just super well written. But um, before yeah, I, before I, I throw know. in with my, my next thing, who has the dogs? Because that's going to show up in the recording. I feel like we need to talk about the that's dogs. That's this house that I'm in right here. <laughs> yeah, for sure. The dogs have to drink. Who knows what the hell? <laughs> who knows? Slapping up some beer. As, yeah. long as, not poop, as long as they're not pooping outside this door, I'll be happy. <laughs> and, you know, we don't know, like Jeff said, we don't know if literally, you know, all or any of this shit was talked about when those guys got together. We do mm. know they were in that hotel room. But, I mean... It's hard to imagine a world without what they did after this night. Right. You know, it's hard to yeah. imagine Sam Cooke without that song. It's hard to imagine uh, Malcolm X not leaving the nation of the Muslim Brotherhood after mm. this. You know, I know he was already kind of thinking about that. And, it's, you know, it's just there's so many things. I don't know if the world is was changed drastically because of... <laughs> because of Jim Brown's transition into a film career. But, you know, there are these big things that, that these guys did after this. And it's just crazy to think that, I bet we can at least say that they influenced each other. It might not have been literally this night and literally these conversations, but their relationships, mm. that humanity, they did affect each other. And it's lonely at the top. I've never been there, but that's what they say. And I would imagine they needed <laughs> each other yeah, to, it to, is. Yeah. to really push against each other and challenge each other. Dave said it is. <laughs> yeah. King, just to want to talk about briefly Kingsley Benadir. Um, Malcolm X. Yeah. He, he's the centerpiece dude, of this film. How do sure. you play Obama and Malcolm X in one year? Like that. Like, no. like that. Yeah. Like, like seriously, he can, he can sell a scene with a look or a gesture. Like it was a, a phenomenal performance. And I also like really related to it because we've all got that one activist friend who just can't let it go. And everything is about, that and they have nothing else at this point you know what this is good i want to talk about this more because another thing that'll come Mm. up in the next film is like the christian values of the next film so i was i I wanted to ask you guys about so malcolm is the centerpiece of this which is funny because they're all huge characters but malcolm organized this event and i don't i i love the take they took on this because forget about the way the movie set the tone malcolm called for them he knew they were only in this in town for the same night one night for this fight and after this fight they were gonna talk he just wanted them to talk and you they were gonna want to party so you just put two and two together and you write the play you don't you don't ask what happened at that point you just do it and you assume that somebody probably jim brown probably cassius clay are gonna want to fucking celebrate but malcolm really had a purpose behind this and that purpose was an obstacle so how interesting is it that our person who set this whole night and made it happen is also sort of building in the antagonizing presence that is causing all of this conflict between all of the four of them what's bringing them together is also what's kind of frustrating them and and it brings so much out so and and can can um sorry can you say his name more ken kingsley ben adir nails that mm. but how did so i would love to talk about the framing of him as the centerpiece and everybody moving around him did you get that because i kind of got that yeah for sure yeah i mean at point at some points they took turns he like but most of the time it was definitely around him and did it bother you that he keeps basically not only it, it's whether it's about the the benefits of, of being a muslim or the, the the benefits of basically putting everything out there and condemning everything <laughs> to, to, to making your art activism, which was very yeah, progressive. I, for I, these I, guys. Mean, which, I mean, which kind of leads to the, the ending, which was powerful when it, like you get to where they all 
kind of they've moved on from that night and how they all ended up and his is just fucking heartbreaking like he gets a, a thing thrown through his window and like the whole family is ready to go and evacuate at any moment and they just fucking bail out into the street and he's sitting there and you can you can almost see the realization it's like this this is my life now because i've i've stuck yeah. my my neck out so far here and this is the life of my family and children like you know what i got I mean, from that him- final that the final postscript quote this is the time for martyrs yeah you know that one that yeah they read afterwards like yeah, this, that was, this, that this was... got me. This got me good too because they they did the great thing when when you just not withhold information necessarily, which is my JFK syndrome. But when you withhold a point of view, like some like some form of reference. Sometimes in movies they try to give you too much context at the beginning. Throughout this movie, it is obvious that this could be a really awesome party if Malcolm X just wanted it to be. <laughs> if he just had fucking vodka and strippers, it would be a, a vodka and stripper party. But because he doesn't drink and because he, you know, he wants this to be a conversation, it is. And they're not happy about it. And then afterwards, you see he, he doesn't have that option anymore. And how heartbreaking that is to go through this film and be like, now I get it because he knows that this was his last chance. There's, he's not going to get a chance like this again, whether he knew he was going to die or or what. But like, he's not going to have a chance to talk intimately with with other people like this because his whole life was just, you know, basically staring down the barrel of the FBI. And and man, it was mm. there was a lot of fun in this movie, John. To what you said early on, a lot of fun, and that can't be diminished. But really, just little tiny things at the end when you see Malcolm's life and you're like, holy shit, no wonder he was fighting so hard for this. That's the thing as well. Like, there's a there's a lot of messages, like, in here, like, a lot of subtle, subtlety that gives you, like, it, it informs you of what their lives are like. But occasionally it's underplayed with, like, humor or with, like, the camaraderie and that sort of thing. But the message still gets through. And that's what makes this such a beautifully directed film. Yeah. Um, as powerful as those messages are, you know, three white guys sitting here talking about this, of right, course, right, but as right, powerful right. as those messages are, um, I, think that, I feel like one of the overwhelming messages, and Regina King didn't fall into the trap of letting this become sentimental, look, we're all trying. I right. feel like uh, one of the overall messages was that, you know, you might lose friends over caring too much. You might lose certain relationships. You might lose your stance. You might lose your entire fucking platform if you let it get in the way of your humanity and your relationships and stuff. And uh, I, I don't know. I do think that the, at the at the end of this, I felt like there was no sentimentality. There was there was this kind of sad realization that I had, which, I mean, how else could you look at that movement, that Malcolm may have unfortunately been right, that they didn't they maybe they were not allowed to have the luxury of the good life even though they were icons mm-hmm. that like you have to speak up you have to say something i'm not gonna lie though the uh the little scene where he plays the bob dylan song mm. uh the uh and what's the name of that act what's the name of that song the answer is flowing in the wind is that the actual name of that song flowing, flowing in the wind yeah thank you and when he gives a speech about fuck that, you know, I can't believe this white guy wrote this song. And this is Sam you know, I was kind of waiting for somebody to speak up. And then Sam Cooke says, you know, I was mad when he wrote that song because it's fucking genius. It's fucking great. And I'm just mad I didn't write it yet. Yeah. So I, I feel like the, uh, when I finished this, there was a little bit of that happy tragedy, that feeling I love so much where they all kind of realized it's not like, look, we're all doing our part. And Malcolm, you know, got us all going. There was this unfortunate truth that like, I, at least I felt that they were trying to say that. We, we can't afford not to be struggling. 
Mm-hmm. We have to be fighting for this all the time, whether or not we own our, our entire business, Sam Cook, whether or not we can transition careers, uh, Jim Brown, whether or not we can, you know, win world championships, it doesn't really matter. We're still going to have to be fighting for this no matter what, which was, you know, as much fun as we had and as, as everything, I still agree with everything we said, there was still a very tragic tone at the very end of this for me. And not just because Malcolm ran out of the house with his family, there was a, you know, it's just, it's never going to be over for, yeah. you know, for, for, for these people, which is, which is a, a real shame, but obviously that gave me a lot to think about. Like, how do I react yeah, there were, to that? There were definite, definite things where they, they mentioned stuff and I was like, this is still happening now. Yeah. yeah. Why? Yeah. Like, sure. yeah, it de- like it's a, it, it makes you think it's, it's doing exactly what it should do. Um, yeah. this whole thing. Another good movie to come out this year. What the fuck? How oh my happen? God. Yeah. <laughs> so we've highlighted Kingsley Benadir's Malcolm X, Eli Goria's Cassius Clay. Don't want to undercut Aldous Hodge's Jim Brown, who's the very important role in this movie of he's not happy about how this night is going. And I think that's important because it adds a ton of depth to this film. And, and he has the point, which is good to get across to Malcolm, but also comes back to him where he's basically like, do you understand, Malcolm, that everybody's telling me who to be? And unfortunately, you're doing that to me right now. That's what I feel like you're doing. I feel like you're telling me how I need to behave be, to be the the and antithesis of them telling me what to do is you telling me what to do and i don't like it i just want to have a party tonight and then we can worry about this tomorrow oh my god his his speech about sometimes i wonder if you're doing this to prove it to black people about the skin tone yeah 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 thing the light and dark that speech he gave to him when they're alone there's so many good moments he also had a lot of uh levity Mm -hmm. i feel like he he had a lot of the funny through that because he could have just (laughs) been stuck in that trope the whole time but he had a lot of really funny lines uh but then of course we we gotta let's so let's get him so first of all he has the musical element of this where he sings a bunch in this you see him at the copa Mm. and they take some liberties with some of the copa stuff because he really was one of the biggest stars in the world his first 20 songs were all topped on the charts at least in the top 100 he had his own record label by this point as john had said um leslie's gonna he's in the award conversation so let's do it like I, I must shit, admit right? that, like when he when he did that whole, it's great to be at the Copa and there were crickets. I'm like, oh, I've played those gigs. I I just wrote that. I don't even <laughs> remember this. I said, yeah, oh my god, the way he shoves that guy off stage was incredible. I didn't know Sam Cooke was such a badass. So here he is with this buttery sweet voice, but he also it was chippy, and it was just like a really really three dimensional. Was, was this awesome the character. when the when the manager told him he bombed? In the in the dressing room afterwards, well, I said that he, he and, threw that guy off the stage. But yeah, the way he did that, and oh, then okay, afterwards yeah. they were like, "You did, then, you did yeah, bomb." Then, by the way, like, what, he was like, one yeah. Of, "Yeah, one one of the one of the band members just calmly opens the door for him to throw this guy out and just shuts yeah. the door." It's like, yeah, I, that was that was smooth. I guess I, I guess I am I'm, I'm always rooting for Leslie Odom, but this even at we're watching this now after it's coming out that he's like the one that is getting the press and he could very easily win this category if 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 it's all about awards. But holy shit, like. What he so I just said that Aldous Hodge gives it with Jim Brown gives it depth because he, immediately you now know that there's somebody who doesn't want to be there, or at least not doing it this way. And then you have other people like you have a lot of different personalities, but there is an existential level of depth that Sam Cooke brings to this film where it, it is timeless and it, it maybe it's just the musical element of it, but there is something about Leslie Odom's performance, but also the character of Sam Cooke that takes this and makes it a time capsule piece, a time capsule film. Do, do you agree with that? Do you disagree? Is there anything else you guys want to say about Leslie Odom? No, I th- I think he was phenomenal. I think I like this. This whole cast was phenomenal. Um, do you guys have the Facebook chat up? We got a couple no, of comments no. in there. Uh, yeah, Peter Peter McLean's like, I was not a fan of this movie. The actors did an amazing job, but the script didn't quite work for me. 
Wow. Um, and Glenn Peter. dropped in. Glenn! Glenn! Peter, this is a positive film criticism podcast. So, Dave? Yeah, yeah, Peter. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, and uh, Glenn. Glenn was, uh, liked it a lot, but more distracted by the fact that it was based on a play than in Ma Rainey. Well, Glenn. <laughs> yeah. We did already no, cover I mean, that. I feel, yeah, I feel you, I feel you Glenn. I, I think I know what you mean, dude. It's I still, hope he's it's got still a beer like handy. A Leslie, <laughs> Leslie, uh, I mean, it does help that in the writing, Sam, I mean, uh, kind of has a, a presence to him, and I think they do a good job with the way they framed his character and everything cinematically. But writing-wise, like, it does build to Malcolm X literally saying, you literally have the biggest voice. Like, because yeah. you sing into a microphone and your music gets to go everywhere. And it built to... Mm. I know a change is going to come. Like it builds to that. So like it kind of is inescapable. So the real measure for me is that Leslie Odom rose to that. I thought his performance met yeah. what is required for the they, way that role is written. They kind of, right. the writing set the bar at the beginning with like, like Malcolm X is struggling for a voice. Um, mm-hmm. Cassius Clay is like, no one thought he was going to win. Um, and Jim Brown is like about to bow out for a, a movie career. But Sam Cook is like, did you ever make a quarter of a million dollars playing a gig? I did. Yeah, and so like exactly. he already has like that platform established oh my, my God. favorite maybe my favorite scene in the movie and you know not to pick on it again but i don't know if you, it would be hard to do this in theater this is some movie stuff uh is when malcolm is finally they've already had two big arguments and he's trying to make up with sam cook and he said you know i've seen you five times and he tells the story about when he saw him in boston when the sound broke down that was cool and you know it cuts mm. to the live concert and sam cook does the that's the sound the of the man gang. working on the train. Oh. Gets the whole yeah, everybody going in the theater. It's very, very. I don't know. It's very cinematic comparatively to the rest of the way the rest of the movie was shot, and maybe that's why I was so moved by it. But that's kind of what I'm talking about. I kind of wanted a little bit more moments like that, just True. to kind of elevate it away from the the room. Even though I know that that was not the point of this, but um, he nailed it, dude. I mean, I think he's gonna be. I think he's going to be a fucking superstar. <laughs> Leslie Adam Jr. I hope like, so. I, the sky's I mean, the limit. Yeah, because really... he's, he's not already. Nobody knows who the fuck that guy is. I don't, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, you know, I think he is. I think <laughs> I he's going to be even bigger than what he is now. I'm going to guess he did not get paid like a superstar for this movie, and that's about to end. That's yeah, my me guess. too, dude. Um, yeah. I bet none of them did. <laughs> and you, you know what the best part about this movie? Because in Ma Rainey, the one thing we did do is we definitely talked about how good like the White Ensemble was. White Ensemble was not too good in this movie. <laughs> Bo Bridges was not good. <laughs> oh my god the bow bridges scene although i did like the thing I that i did be, like, i know it had to be there but oh, the thing man. i did like though was like they played him as this sweet like genteel old man a, as such it was and well directed t- till the end like until the end, that, then got he me, drops, dude. that like, moment got me yeah yeah uh, i don't want to say what he says and he but just, that he just got me. yeah just, you, you don't <laughs> Do you not want to say yeah, it? No, no, we do not. <laughs> there's, there's not a fucking buzzer hard enough for dropping that in the air. No, yeah. and uh, no, but he, he, he literally, was... yeah, it was. It's a shocking moment, and it, you, for I was like, I almost had to rewind it. I'm like, did he just say what I? Because you character didn't see is better, it coming. Character is better than the actor. Now, to be but fair again, though, Michael Imperioli was awesome as <laughs> as Cassius Clay's um, there's somebody in his corner. Yeah. Yeah. And credits to that moment you were just talking about, though, Dave. Credits to Regina, because that was one of the first opportunities I thought she had to really create tone for the mm. way this film was going to watch. And I thought it did sit in that place yep. where I had a little shock, for sure shock, but I also kind of laughed at how just matter-of-fact he said it and the way Jim Brown just stands yeah. there and reacts like, what the fuck? But, like, it didn't turn it. You know, the music I, it was, didn't it kick was in quite with a slow push in. It yeah. didn't get too melodramatic. It was no, good. it was just like, did, did he just fucking say that? 
And I had, the same, I had <laughs> the same reaction. Like I'm sitting there like, did he yeah. just fucking say what I think he said? I'm sure Regina yeah. King, if she could have seen this in the movie theaters and festivals, she would have just waited around for that moment. And then she would have walked out of the theater. So like, that, <laughs> and she would have walked out. For sure, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, I can't wait for her next one. Like if, if this is what she's turning out for a debut, I can't wait for the next Tone one. Tone style quality. I'm sure if, she's got... Yeah. I'm sorry to say, if we're getting picky on this film, it's because we're watching it in the context of award season stuff. If this came out last summer, we, we would just have sat back and enjoyed it. I really think that there's some, this is fantastic. I hope Regina King gets nominated. The BAFTAs, she's she's nominated for everything. So uh, let's let's cross our fingers that you know this yeah. sets her on the map and then she gets to do whatever she wants next. And please, God, don't let it be a Disney movie. I can't believe like Chloe Zhao is getting into that. Like, come on, people, get out of here. Barry I, d- I don't know. I, I I have high hopes for Eternals. Like, I think it's, it's a... Yeah, like, let's not go into that right now. <laughs> um, anything else you guys want to say? Final thoughts? No, I no. think uh, I think we've yeah we've definitely it's on Prime, Amazon, Amazon Prime. Amazon Prime. Mm. Yeah. All right. Well, with that, we're gonna take a quick break, and we are gonna see you soon to talk about Ron Howard's turn at Hillbilly Allergy in a second, film fans. And we're back. We're back. back. (laughs) Oh, my gosh, people. Thank you so much for spending some time in Miami with us. But we are headed up to Ohio, people. We are up to the part of Ohio with Confederate flags. That's right. We are looking at Hillbilly Allergy. I keep saying allergy. Hillbilly Elegy. Elegy. Somehow was directed by Ron Howard. I did not know. That Ron Howard directed this until I was watching this, and then I, I like it really changed everything. For really, because he was nominated um, for a Razzie for worst director. I didn't check that before I had seen the film, as you now, you now know. Anyway, Hillbilly Elegy is interesting. <laughs> it has a it has a six point eight on IMDb, which is higher than a lot of movies I like, and it has a thirty eight Metacritic score. It has a twenty five percent critic score on Rotten Tomatoes, but an eighty five percent audience score on Rotten Tomatoes. So what Reddit thread got people to yeah, <laughs> give I, this I, a high rating? Yeah, I have no idea. Hill, that Hillbilly, okay. Hillbilly Elegy is the like the movie GameStop. Okay, so this is um, <laughs> this is this is um, starring Amy Adams, Glenn Close, and um, this guy Gabriel Basso, who was sort of a child star. Haley Bennett, Frida Print, Frida Pinto, makes an appearance. Haven't seen her in a while. You got Bo Hopkins, and the, yeah, um, and the kid. You got to give it up to the kid. Oh, and oh, that kid, Talos, wonderful. He was good. Young JD. Yeah. All right, so this is based on a memoir about a guy named JD Vance who just loves himself. Because mm. <laughs> yeah, fuck you, dude. Keep going. <laughs> Oh, I got my finger on the I'm trigger kidding, right I'm now. Kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Anyway, so this guy put himself through um, Ohio State and then Yale Law School. And then um, he gets a call that his mom had overdosed on heroin. So he moves back to Ohio while he's at Yale. And um, ha- this says here he reflects on three generations of family history and his own future. I will say this became a huge um, campaign piece in 2016 about why the democrats had left the the middle of america wide open and they didn't understand their struggles uh and he did try to run for senate and congress he's he's, try, he's been trying to run for office for a while um but anyway i digress forget about the politics stuff 
he, J.D. Vance, um, was an investment banker after this movie, made a lot of money. And now he's trying to use some of that money that he made uh, working with uh, VCs and in the investment capital world to um, get people off of addiction because he really thinks that it's tearing apart the middle of the country. So he wrote a memoir and wrong. came out in 2015. <laughs> Yeah, definitely, and, definitely a part of it. I don't know whether and, and anyone yeah, on the video. On, I don't know whether everyone on it on the on the stream has noticed, but every time Jeff mentions politics, I drink. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, I'll, I'll stay. I'll stay out of it. I'll stay. Out of it. The only, you know what? Fuck you. Okay, the only politics I'm going to talk about is this. All right, it has nothing to do with national politics. This is nominated for three Razzies. It's nominated for worst screenplay, worst director for Ron Howard. Which, let's be real, he turned this into a Netflix made-for-TV Hallmark Christmas movie, which it did not deserve. It deserved better than that. All right, so there you go. So you got Ron Howard. Sorry, Ron. Guy gave us Apollo thirteen, and then Glenn Close for worst supporting actress. Now I want to take a step back here. Okay, this is Glenn Close. People, let's just think about this. So Judy Dench for Artemis Fowl. She was almost asking to be nominated for a Razzie because she was making some choices with both middle fingers wide up in the air. And she did not give the slightest bit of a fuck. And she was like, give me a Razzie. I don't give a fuck. <laughs> All right. Ides of March are coming for you, motherfuckers. Wait, hang like, on. Judy wait a Dench second. Was, she, was a Judy shit. Dench in the final list? No, no, she wasn't. But like, but, yeah. but okay. But, but I'm talking about like legends who would be nominated for Razzies. Robert Downey Jr. was nominated for Doolittle because the dude literally had three years of delays from this film and still didn't learn a Welsh accent. So like, yeah, you get nominated for a Razzie for that. His accent. I'm not even buzzing his that. Accent, his accent is nominated for a Razzie. He deserves a Razzie and he knows it. Deep down inside, he knows it. Glenn Close gave us I will not be ignored. Glenn Close is a Tony winner. Glenn Close. Glenn Close gave us Al- Albert Nobbs, people. She is a legend and she is a hero. So you really got to dig deep to give her a Razzie nomination. And in this film, film, are you there? This her being on the shortlist makes me want to root for the movie. Like it. It almost I feel like there's a different cut of this movie where she could single-handedly save it. I don't know what that cut is. <laughs> I, I can't for the life of me find what that cut is, but it is not her fault. If they literally just went, you know what, fuck it, whatever she's doing is our movie, they could have turned this into a really, really, really good movie. The kid comes home and he got an A on an algebra test and she gave us Forrest Gump's Is He Normal or Is He Like Me? For no, it's just because he got an A on an algebra test. She kicked people off her stoop like she was Clint Eastwood. <laughs> got in, in in movies, not not when okay. he's talking to yeah, like yeah. Also, a, an empty drinking, chair. smoking, cursing like a sailor, and quoting Terminator Two. Come on, mm-hmm. it definitely crossed Glenn Close's mind that this could be her Oscar film, and I feel like that is the only reason. Like she thought she went supporting role, Robin Williams. That can that is the only reason that you would consider her. This is not her fault. This is so ridiculous and so stupid that she's on this list. And the worst part about it, other than this podcast, nobody's even talking about it. So what a waste of a vote. You you got Rudy Giuliani. You got Mike Lindell. You have what an interesting way of treating the Razzies. You have an, you have a CGI dog is nominated for a Razzie. And Glenn Close is nominated for a fucking Razzie. This whole segment we did makes me sick to my stomach just knowing that Glenn Close ended up on this list. Bullshit. Good, man. Don't be ridiculous. Yeah, I agree. Having said that, we're going to do another Razzie film next week, but... Yeah, right. no, Hell I, yeah. no, I don't I agree. agree with anything you just said. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I, do, I, do, I agree with everything you just said. Okay, so who wants to talk, really? who wants to, who wants to talk about Hillbilly Elegy? <laughs> Dave, what'd you think, dude? 
I'm very, I'm very curious specifically what you think too, not to pimp you out, but I don't know if anyone has ever noticed Dave's accent, but he's not from America. And I'm curious if this felt like it was uh, hyperbolic or if you felt like it was a little too something for you or if, or if it moved you. Did you I what fucking love this. I thought Me this too, was dude. phenomenal. <laughs> I thought this was phenomenal. It. I'm like, what the fuck is this doing on the Razzies? Actually, to be honest, you know what? Fuck you, Razzies. Like Glenn Close Thank acted you, yeah. her ass off. You know and what? This is for the Razzies. I, I want Buzz to find, the Razzies, like, dude. Okay, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Fuck you, Razzies. <laughs> I mean, when you get to the end and they show what the people actually look like and you see what the grandma looked like oh and Glenn God. Close like altered her face to look like this woman. She nailed and it. it, it is, it is an amazing. Amy Adams was phenomenal. The kid was phenomenal. In my opinion, the whole film was phenomenal. Some of the themes are great. And I'm sorry, whoever the Rezzy voters are, I, I'm coming for you. I will fucking find you. I have a very unique set of skills. Okay, Dave, I could not... I could not I'm agree more. I, I'm with you about this, but are you fucking? Can you guys just tell me really quick? Are you fucking with me, or is this not I, at I all? This, I found. I, I found agree that it should really be on the. I agree powerful. that it shouldn't be on the Razzie list. I am going to. You, you Jeff, found the I was, film. I was, you found the film powerful. I, yes. If, yeah. If Glenn, gonna, if Glenn yes. Close doesn't get a nomination tomorrow, I'll be very, very. No, Glenn Close deserves a nomination, but I'm saying the film. You found yes. the film powerful. I did. I'm gonna. I, I wanted did. to put this caveat out there because I wanted to ask Dave what he thought first because you know I'm from the South. Like I know these people. I'm from a smaller town in the South. I, I'm not joking. I know these fucking people. That grandma, Glenn Close's character, looked like exactly and acted and talked and behaved exactly like one of the kids' grandmas that I grew up with. I mean, I know these people. Yeah. And there are a few sentimental lines. There really are. There are three or four lines and moments that are a little too sentimental, a little too on the nose. We're hill people. We honor our dead. There are a couple moments well, that was like great. that. great. But none of those moments took away... For the from the power that this film get, I was actually moved multiple times by this film. I do not understand why it's getting the shit it got. I thought it was well paced. I thought technically Ron Howard, because Jeff, I'm glad you brought that up. He he did get kind of in. Do you guys remember when we were talking in the summer of the franchise face off, and I said I just watched Ron Howard's masterclass, and he talked about how he thinks every film needs to have a mm-hmm. little bit of mystery. So Jeff, I'm glad you made that comment about how every film kind of turned into a Bond film. I don't think he did that with this one. I think he broke True. it down a little bit more. True. And I think he got to a real human place. And I just, I can't say enough about the performances. I mean, that the, kid was fucking incredible. Like, like, Amy was it. fucking incredible, dude. Let's face it. Yeah. Like, I watch a lot of Marvel shit. I lot of, lot of, watch a lot of sci-fi stuff. I don't delve into the deep dramas a lot. And for me to come out swinging so hard for this film is, like, this is really, really good work. This is, and like, this is a family in free-falling collapse in full yeah. color and it's not fun to watch but it's not fun to watch for all the right reasons this shit is happening and we are a positive film podcast i'm i'm very i'm so happy that you guys are behaving this way i'm just <laughs> a little surprised <laughs> I, well, let, no. me ask you, let me just ask the que- let me ask the question let me ask the question that i think i'm i'm a little nervous to ask it and I, i'm not we, we should be totally comfortable to talk about what everyone here we're being positive I think this film may have gotten shat on because it came out in the summer of 2020. And I think we all know what I mean when I say well, it's, that. It's, it's, about, it's polarizing because of that. Because I expect I, mean, yeah. yes. half, I, I expect a lot of people to love this movie hands down. I thought it turned into a Hallmark movie. I thought the last five minutes, that whole segue with the, with the credit roll and the, 
She, I, I wrote down, it says she was sober for six years and, and the most aggressively Christian rock, like emo song comes on and it, it just made me laugh. So I, mm. I didn't, which is no, and I'm, I'm okay. I'm not saying that's a problem because I know that that works for some people. I went to college in North Carolina. I did. I obviously didn't grow up there, but I, I, I feel like I know, I, I get the, the, the vibe. I, th- I think, at least. Right. I, I tried to immerse myself in it, but I, I'm Hold just on. surprised. That's all. We're going we're gonna to go to the chat for a second because Glenn has weighed in um, and said that Glenn Close was the best thing in a mediocre movie. She doesn't deserve scorn. Peter then weighed in saying he loved this movie a lot. Glenn Close and Amy yeah. Adams were amazing. Glenn has then weighed in gone the plot device of the job interview he had to get back to was contrived and unnecessary. This is based on his memoir, isn't it? It's, it's based on his yeah. memoir, yeah. So it's a Glenn, true that story. Glenn, didn't bother me, dude. Such. Glenn, that didn't bother me. I kind of, I know what you mean. In in a sense, I could understand how you felt like that was the thing, but I mean, it did create some urgency, which, which it'll take me back to. I I like the way they cut this film because if he didn't have that device to, to push his timeline in the, the present day, the 2014 or 11 or whenever it was, I think it would have felt kind of back a flashbacky, maybe a little montagey. So I needed something Mm. like that to keep the, the urgency of the pace moving forward. And it, it did work for me. I, also, I can see why it bothered you, but it, it didn't bother it was, me. It also, it for me, it was like, well, okay, he's he's slowly rediscovering like the family and the what everything he's distanced himself from, which, you know, I relate to it a little bit. It's like, it, it was a whole, is he or isn't he? Is he going to go or is he going to stay? Like, is he going to give up this whole thing? Because I didn't know what the outcome was. And I think the biggest, I, I totally agree, Dave. And I think the biggest message that I did want to bring up and ask you guys, as you felt, these two friends of mine have made movies with me before. I love this theme and I thought they handled this theme really well. And I think it's very important because it was all, I think a lot of us could think about over this past year and especially over the Trump era, the theme of shame. This guy trying to outrun his past and trying to get transcend out of this, this white trash background that he feels like he came from and is there some do you need to have shame for that and how do we move past it i think that transcends race demographics class i think everyone can relate to that and i do feel like it it really it it could bother me if we were to be able to look at some statistics and realize okay some people talk some shit about this movie right when it came out and nobody watched it i think there are lessons here responsible audiences work both ways just because this is about some you know poor white people from the coal mining country of Kentucky and Ohio doesn't mean that there isn't something we can learn about what everybody struggles with when they're trying to, to better I mean, themselves, which is, my, I, mean, I know what you mean, big, Jeff, it's a little no, TV my, movie, my but it didn't question, get in the way for me. My biggest question of this was this a little too close to home for people to process at this point in time. Like, did it, did it reflect on something that a lot of America just doesn't really want to acknowledge as real? I think so. That's why I wanted to ask you if you felt that way, because I felt that way. But I know I'm, I know these people again, so I, th- I didn't know if I was had a, if I had too much bias. Jeff, growing up in a different kind of area, like, did you feel like you no. were pretty removed from this, or did you feel like it was a little cliche? Like, what r- rubbed you the wrong no, way with it? Was it the tone? Tone. It, it felt like um, I watched a couple of the the Netflix like Christmas made for like they're hall the Hallmark movies. I watched the Hallmark movies, yeah. and it re- it had the same tone as those movies. I'm not. I'm not saying it's it's on the level of them because they had very little plot and so they were it was they just and the performances rode. could not have been as strong, right? I mean, I know it, like the, the <laughs> sentimentality was the only vehicle to get that movie through. I'm not saying it was that, but it was pretty close. I wrote down so one 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 scene. I don't know, you know, I don't want to be negative. I don't care. No, 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 come at it, come at it. No, come at it. I just I'm just curious. There's a, scene, there's a scene. So it, I, 
I I know what I said about the the podcast host at the beginning of this episode who was on here and he, he kept <laughs> making everything seem personal. Like he, he kept talking Jesus John. He kept talking about <laughs> he kept talking about movies and and it seemed he was like like he hated Green Book for instance because he was like they shouldn't have made that movie. Why did they make that movie? And it's like that's such a weird take like Wow. They made the, like, I don't like, you know what I mean? It's like that kind of critic. It's the same critic. Yeah. Um, All right. Everything wanna... seems personal. Wait, hold on. And then, but I I don't want to become that, but, I, but there's a, there's a, a conversation about how to say the word syrup between the guy and the girl. And, and you know, cause you're movie people, the scene is really just to get them close together. Cause he's been through a lot and she's been through a lot and she's just blue. It was blue definitely to make her likable. Yes. It's to make her likable. It's to make him like likable and have like that intimate moment. Maybe the the future and the family, like what's coming next. And you could see it in a TV show all the time. It's just like the two of them joking about how to say syrup or syrup. Yeah, I've been watching. It, it is it is just a vanilla scene that any that can literally be in any movie. There's nothing in and that scene. There's nothing in that scene that can be taken out of this movie and put in a different movie. I've been watching RuPaul UK, and he says something like, "Okay, if you don't have money, <laughs> if you don't have money, it's a fantastic show, you dick." Okay. <laughs> And he says, I have friends don't have in the money, UK that would agree with you. <laughs> and he says, if you don't have money and you have to shop at H&M to get your outfits, that's fine. But you better glitter the fuck out of it and make it your own. That's a RuPaul quote. In this movie, fine, have a syrup quote about how to say syrup. But it's been said so many times that to put it in this movie with no connection to this movie at all, other than the fact that these characters are in the rest of the movie, it just makes it so vanilla that the scene could be cut and you wouldn't know it was missed. I, and I, I know you that. can say I, I found that scene sweet. I that I, I know I, I know, it. and that's what that's the point. And it Je- just, it just Jeff, didn't I, feel I interesting. Still, that's what I was saying. That's what I was saying. There are a handful of moments and or scenes that do fall into that a little bit. It just overall, it didn't take away from my experience enough for me to say yeah. that's why this movie didn't work. Right. I think I think it didn't. I don't know if it benefited from those moments. I, I do agree with you on that. I think especially early on, there's a moment when he's sitting around. He's going to get um, his first round of interviews, folks. He's going to Yale Law School. He's trying to get a summer internship at a really top firm. He's going to first round of interviews, or he's hoping to get a, a final interview. And he's at this gala, basically, this like conference night. So he's sitting around the table, two partners and a few other candidates for the job. And there's a moment where he says, I'm from here. Here's my story, Kentucky. And this guy makes the comment about rednecks. Is it we're going home? Do you feel like you're surrounded by rednecks? And everyone kind of like gets awkward and he kind of pushes back and everyone lowers their head. So there were a few directorial moments that I, I do blame Ron Howard for. I think a little more nuance would have been more powerful. It's like blatant racism is in a way, bear with me, folks, is in a way less offensive than nuance racism where you're like, motherfucker, like you have to actually discover it and you realize, oh my God, they have to deal with that every day. So they in this case, it's not racism, in, in it's, it's Miami. prejudice. Hmm. Yeah. Miami, so in this that. case, it's prejudice, not racism, but it didn't get in the way for me. And uh, I want to swing back to the performances. I know what, who, who said this? Was it Glenn or did Jeff, were you quoting somebody from the pod that, that she could have turned this mediocre film into something more? That was Glenn said, said that, but, yeah. and I agree. My favorite part about this movie, other than the pacing and just in general, the way he cut this whole thing together, was that Amy Adams and Glenn Close are giving like monster, monster performances. Amy is at a 10 for like so much. She's yeah. going back and forth from like a, a, you know, a six to a 10 of like is really Is it bipolar? Manic. Is it addiction? Like it's- Who knows, it's right? Great. It's great. It's both really of them, both of them, the way they play it, I think the way it was directed, I want to believe they had a conversation about it, the way it's filmed and the way it's cut, there's so much humility that I never felt like either one of them was grandstanding ever. I was never waiting for them to get on the, get on their soapbox and scream, which is why- True. I, I 
teared up several times during this movie and you you nailed it. That was a really good one. Whenever Glenn did have a little bit of focus on her in a nice close-up, she was not she wasn't doing anything outlandish and you got to be you got to discover those moments with her. Uh when she has here's a perfect example when she has a um there is a meals on wheels moment where a guy yeah. comes and delivers some yeah. food and she just steps back and says, I'm not going to overplay this motherfucker. I'm not going to overplay yeah. it. The actor knew that. The character knew that. And I got, I literally sat up and I was, you know, there was one of like four or five moments where I teared up. I just felt like it was, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Get it yes. No, I'm, I'm happy. Too, I mean, yeah. No, I, I get your point exactly. I just want to throw it back to the, uh, like the viewer chat at the moment. Cause like, for anyone listening Woo. on the podcast, if you join us live on Sunday nights, we do interact with you guys. Um, Glenn tell, has yeah. thrown in uh, to chime in. Uh, apropos of nothing, he grew up maybe an hour from where this was shot. Uh, Who? Who did? And he, uh, Glenn, and he agrees with what Jeff is saying. Uh, it felt very movie of the week. But he loved this um, movie a lot, though. Oh no, Peter loved this. Sorry, Glenn. Yes. Yeah, Peter yeah, loved Glenn. it. Glenn didn't. Uh, Glenn felt the devices like a ticking time bomb of the job interview and the syrup scene felt like screenwriting one hundred and one to inject extra extra drama when there was plenty of drama to be found organically. Yeah. Now, I want to and bring I mean, that round. You know, I'd like to bring that comment around to the point that no character in this is likable until you inject those scenes. Hmm. No, but keep going, again, keep going. Uh, ba- but no, but back to my thing. If you buy, if you shop at H&M, you got to glitter the fuck out of it to make it your own. I, I don't think they made it their own, but that's just me. And the, because the main character here is the least interesting one to me. The little kid was awesome, but the adult guy is basically just a surrogate for the plot. I, di- I didn't see anything that he did that moved me, and I don't think that's the actor's fault. Yeah, it, that so wasn't right I... to the end. Right to the end, he started to in- they started okay. to introduce stuff to turn him around and make him a little bit likable. But yeah, okay, great. I, he had tough jobs because again, a lot of exposition in that one scene with all of the lawyers, the highbrow, you know, the upper crust of the Northeast, and then he basically has to say, "Oh, we don't go by rednecks." I actually think it's a positive that I'm from the sticks. Like, yes, he has he has a lot of work to do. I'm not saying that he does it and. And I, I'm not hating the movie. I'm glad that you guys are talking me into this. And I hope Glenn Close wins a fucking Oscar for this role. I, I do too. Really like, I'm just, I'm yeah. just a little, I'm, I'm a little surprised, but it's good. It is <laughs> oh, one God. of those things where I we're think, redeeming I think this movie. To, <laughs> in the light of, in the light of a, in light of the theme <laughs> of our podcast and trying to be positive. Uh, but I also feel like the more movies I watch and the more things I get, I'm going to reiterate what Jeff was saying. I try to think less about I liked this, I didn't like that, and try to understand if I have the ability to switch gears and appreciate what somebody is doing. Mm. So Glenn, I agree with you, dude. I probably would have liked this even more if it was grittier and it was a little bit more realistic, (laughs) but I switched gears into whatever they were trying to do and it didn't bother me. I just had to accept the fact that that's how he's going to tell this story. What did he say? No, Glenn's (laughs) like, I think I I I like this movie a little more than Jeff and a lot less than John and Dave. (laughs) (laughs) Glenn? Yeah. <laughs> I really was avoiding I really was avoiding the true story element of it, which which goes back to critics and why critics hate movies like this is because they they know the backstories too well. And I'm trying so I have all this stuff about the town that it's from and the politics and the stuff, and I really mm. don't want to touch. I promise you I, I wasn't trying to think about all the Brett Kavanaugh jokes, which I stand by because I come on. This is <laughs> porn Brett Kavanaugh. Let's be real. Yeah. Sorry. Um, Peter, Peter's weighed in uh, the husband death scene with Glenn Close there. Oh my god, dude! I was going to mention yeah. that scene too, Peter. Yeah. Dude. Holy shit, dude! Get yeah. out of our head, Peter. I, okay. Dude. I love that. All right, so so very on TV movie. Like this is, I will say, this is one thing that confused me about the way they decided to put this movie together in assembly with the editing. Even though I love the pacing, like I said, 
there are some things that I felt like we did discover through the way they cut it. I don't think they showed us too much of their past. I don't think they showed us too much of Amy Adams' childhood. We had to kind of infer some of that stuff, which I thought was really well done. And then they have some syrup moments and some things like that that are a little in your face and on the nose. So I, I do, I, I'm going to give you room there. I do understand it did feel like it wasn't quite on the same level of maturity with some of the choices in assembly. But again, those it didn't take it away from me, though. I didn't care. And by the time it was over, I was moved. And motherfucker, the casting was fantastic. Those They look like these people. I mean, yes, they, right, 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 they, right. It was, they were all so talented, and they looked just fucking like them. It was fucking yeah. crazy, dude. I liked it. I don't know. I, don't know. I do think... I don't know. I don't know if the, I don't I know know if the, the, the oh. memoir does this, but I like that it opens in Mississippi and then goes to Ohio. I, th- I, I like that they made that Kentucky. I, I wrote this Kentucky. down and I didn't get to the top of my list. Yeah, sorry about that. It opens. In I mean, Jackie, my question, okay. and this is mainly an excuse to bring up the poster, but like, why do we have Glenn Close and Amy Adams on the poster and not the kid or the guy who was the lead? Because I think people were afraid to take a chance on this subject material if they didn't know there were two huge stars in it, honestly. And I think that's the problem with why they're having trouble getting people to watch this movie and no offense America, but I think this is our fucking quicksand. I don't think we should be so ready to dismiss any story or any subject matter because of our political prejudice. And I I do think whether or not you like this movie or not, I still think movies like this are worth giving it a shot because there are people, is it all we need to know? It was the best, you know, it's a good book. It doesn't necessarily mean that's great stars. We trust and a director. We trust. Isn't that a good enough? Let's take a chance and let's learn something. We can decide whether or not we liked it, but I think we need to give it a chance. I think we need to give it a shot. I went into this carrying a lot of skepticism. I'm not going to lie. I didn't watch this movie when it came out this summer after I watched Ron Howard's Masterclass because I heard some iffy things. Yeah, me too. And I regret that I did that. Like, I feel like I, an I, asshole. I, I feel put like some I, of the reviews that they wrote in the like the the pay the post we had this week advertising this movie, and it was like some of them called it like irresponsibly bad and the worst film of 2020. No, what the fuck not, are they no, talking no, 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 about? No, 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 we no, have we have stupid. watched some of the worst films of yes. 2020. This was miles this was away from this some of the things that. we've seen. Yeah. Not even in the same class, dude. What was the name of Anne Hathaway's first one that we can't remember the name of? Things he the didn't last thing he wanted. The last thing <laughs> he wanted. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, you guys! That's both of you. <laughs> yeah, Andrew. Thank you. Thank you. Um, fuck the Razzies, dude. I don't know about you guys, yeah. but I mean the Razzies used to be fun, been... but like this, this one's put a sour taste in my mouth. I'm like, this just this was not deserved me at too. all. Me too. I I know. I feel like this movie maybe because I think about this every week, every time we watch them. But I know we used up till now, we've kind of agreed that like that oh, wasn't very good. But this really put an exclamation point on it for me. I I really don't know if I how I feel about the Razzies existing at all. Like, what are they benefiting from? Just making fun of people who tried their hardest to make something? I mean, we all know those movies weren't great without giving them I mean, a You no, Suck in, Award. In what some cases, it was fun. Like, when, when Halle Berry turned up to collect a Catwoman Oscar in person, it was like, yeah, we all know that that did not go right. well. Catwoman was terrible. Sure, mm. sure. <laughs> and Peter McClain, Peter McClain, come at me. Did Prince really deserve all those Razzies for Purple Rain? I don't know. Like, we all know what that movie was. <laughs> Like, some things are fun. Do I, 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 I need to buzz him? <laughs> I think it's it's a Come it's on, good to fun. be a, it's good to be a check on on Sia with the controversy and just to like solidify that moment in history. It's good to to be a check on 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 the Robert Downey thing where 
he very clearly capped out and, and just just learned learned that Welsh accent. Like I saw I saw one episode of The Crown and there were a thousand people that spoke in Welsh. Like just just get it down. Yeah. Like yeah, dude, if you don't learn a Welsh out. accent, if you don't learn a Welsh accent, like you know you. <laughs> you what did you say? This film was this film was delayed two or three years and he still didn't learn the accent. He's still, he's like, oh, I got an extra six months. Fuck, what am I gonna do with that time? Um, so yeah, get a Razzie, but this is ridiculous. Like, this is not a yes, platform to be an asshole. That, that's not what, or I guess it is. Yeah, and and that's I, what people I, hate I feel it. like I just, some of the voters might have, like, I'm starting a campaign right now that Glenn Close will not get this Razzie. I'm starting a campaign right now. We're no, coming already, at you. She already got no, a Razzie. She's, she's nominated, but she will oh, not oh, get no, the Razzie. Oh, no, she's not gonna win. No, 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 she's not gonna win. No, she's not she will win. not get the Razzie. How can Ant? Yeah, it's not Anne, but who are the, I have it right here, the other supporting actor nominate, or supporting, excuse me, supporting actress nominations are- It's uh, Lucy Hale, Hale, Maggie Q. Yeah, Maggie Q, Kristen Wiig and Wonder Woman. Go fuck yourself, Kristen Wiig. That was not that bad at all. And Maddie Ziegler in music. I I just, come on, what are they doing? Maddie might have it. We'll we'll find out. She'll have it. Maddie might have it. She'll have it, but in a way, I feel bad for her because she was cast. You know, as an actor, you get cast, you say yes. Like I know, I know she didn't, she shouldn't Not have done always. that. But... There, there have been so many times when people have turned her role going no. Look, I, I know she's young and wealthy and stuff, but like, I, I, I'd feel a little bad if she got it for some reason. And it's not just because I've seen Dance Moms. <laughs> how fucking cool would it be? How fucking cool would it be if Glenn Close came out and won the fucking Oscar after they talk shit about this movie so much all year? Yeah, I, think I mean, that would be fucking I, yeah, awesome. I would, might, I would love, to, I would love to see her she walk might, up and I, if if that happens, like if she gets the Razzie no, and then Peter's, uh, wins Peter's the like, Oscar, no. <laughs> yeah, I want to, I want to see her turn up at the Oscars and smash that Razzie to pieces on stage. Yeah. I mean, well, it's gonna be virtual, but yeah, I I wish if if Olivia we'll Coleman beats her again, well, she's no, baked, I'm, I'm gonna like, feel bad. Yeah. And I love Olivia Coleman, I love Olivia Coleman, but I hope Olivia Coleman doesn't win again. Okay, we're now we're off script here, so we're gonna yes. do this again. We're gonna do this on YouTube right now or Facebook or whatever we do. But we gotta round this episode up. Let's yes. give the people what we want for next week. I think we redeemed Hillbilly Elegy. Uh, no thanks yeah. to me. <laughs> I'm one of those GOP senators that voted against the bill and then is going home and being like, yeah, you guys get your unemployment checks. Okay, um, it's not political. So next week, we are doing the U.S. versus Billy Holiday, which is available on You're Hulu. welcome, Peter. And then... So excited. We are spending money to rent separately. So we're giving them we're three times as much money. And they're charging a dollar more than everyone else. They're charging a dollar more than any of the other Razzie rentals. Yep, because Kate the Winslet, cheek. Golden Globe nominee, brings in the big bucks here. Or they just don't want people to see this movie who are going to shit on it, like maybe us. I don't know. We're going to try to redeem it because that's our job. We're talking about music, people. Sia's music. Watch it Starring in your peril from what I've Kate heard. With- yeah, pay $6 and then have some fun with us next week. All right, people, so that's what we're doing. Any final words before we send the people off into the abyss? This has no, been fun. I... Yeah, this was probably my favorite week we've had yeah. so far in terms of two movies. I enjoyed both of these movies, and I, I recommend everybody go out and watch both of them. Mm. Um, that's it. That's it. Yes. We're going to see you guys next week. Thank you so much for joining in. We'll talk about the Oscar nominations maybe next week, but you'll know what they are by the time you hear this. See you soon, film fans. Woo! Aren't close. <laughs>